Thank you. Evening, everybody. Having a good weekend so far, sort of? We're a week into the worst month of the year, so only three to go. Um, yeah, I hope it's been a good... Actually, it is redeemed, of course, by all kinds of things, not least for sports fans. It is a kind of rich time at the moment, and I know I drone on, so I won't... Uh, bear with me just a moment, but the, the key result of the afternoon has already happened, and the Gunners march on. You, know, you have to be, um, to work in this church, you'd be on the staff of this church, you have to support Arsenal, it's just a well-known fact. Um, and, uh, but rugby, rugby, not quite so good from an English perspective this afternoon, but um, I'm going to get you to stand in a moment, because you've probably been sat for a while, and we'll, we'll stand for the scriptures in a moment. The other big redeeming feature, of course, is that we get to study Ephesians, which we're going to continue in the Ephesians series in a moment. But uh, it's going to be introduced to us by some more rugby players, actually. What we're thinking about tonight, uh, helpfully, has been uh, sort of tackled by this little group of rugby players. If we could show this clip and enjoy this one. Yeah, people do PhDs about comedy, don't they, and how it works. I don't think that's a, a particularly profound uh, kind of bit of, of analysis required there. It works, and it's funny, because it's just so wrong, right? It's just so wrong. There's this kind of mismatch, big, hairy rugby boats don't talk like toddlers in squeaky, you know, unbroken voices, and it's wrong, and we laugh. You could argue, of course, that professional footballers do behave like toddlers quite often. Uh, that would be a difference. <laughs> kind of argument we could make, uh, and actually maybe we could, and maybe they too, points to something that we're going to be thinking about tonight as we continue uh, in our Ephesians um, series, this wonderful letter that Paul has written to a bunch of people around Ephesus in now modern Turkey. Uh, I always compare Ephesus a little bit with Cheltenham and, and go back over the last few weeks if you, if you need a bit of background and maybe you've been following uh, and, and I hope you have and I, I'm tempted to pause even now for those in the room, most of you will have been here or in groups or both uh, looking at this, this letter of Paul's to the Ephesians uh, for the last few weeks, I'm tempted to say what's God been saying to you, you know, what has God been saying to you and to us? It's not just about enjoying it, is it? It's like, Lord, what are you saying through your word to us? And maybe you could uh, say something about, about that to your neighbor later. Um, but we're going to continue uh, tonight, and I'll get you to stand in, in just a moment. Because what, what that, uh, th that silly introduction says draws attention to this feature of Ephesians chapter 4, which we're coming to, which is essentially keep growing. Or if you want to be even sharper about it, grow up. Keep growing. Grow up is the theme. And as we read through these first 16 verses, and I'm going to skip a few of them, I just want you to, to notice that theme. There's various messages here, as ever. These are big chunks of Scripture, all kinds of different sorts of themes. But this is a prominent one in this, uh, in this passage here. So would you like to stand? Is that okay? Just, um, it's quite sharp tonight, if I may say. Andrew said this this morning in his great message on the same passage. Uh, it, it's quite uncomfortable, in a way, this passage. Um, but I want us to remember that this comes ultimately from the, the most loving parent who exists. So if there is a sharpness about this, if there's, if there's some challenge in this message, I'm not going to duck that or be apologetic for it. I hope it doesn't come from me personally. I hope I, I come with, with sort of compassion and empathy around this. But it's, it's, not, uh, it's not necessarily a comfortable um, message for us. So I'm going to read uh, a few verses. They will be on the screen. Um, I'm going to leave out... 7 to 10, if you're following in your uh, devices and your Bibles, then um, that's, that's deliberate. I will, I will make a reference to it, but just to keep it a little shorter. So, Father, speak to us through this word, we pray. So here's Paul then, a prisoner for the Lord, remember. 
So he's a, which means two things, by the way. It's a prisoner because of his faith in Jesus. That's why he's in prison. But as Andrew said this morning, it also carries the sense of actually being chained, imprisoned with, chained to Jesus in this rather beautiful and intimate way. So Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, hear the passion, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Take a seat again, thank you. Remember, uh, yes, we hear everything through the individual lens, and there's something about that. There's something of the individual and the personal here, but remember that almost every time you hear the, hear the word you in the Scripture, it's a bunch of people. So, friends, I want us to hear this together. Most of us in the room will have some kind of identity as Trinity Cheltenham people. Some of us won't because we're visiting or tiptoeing in or we're not quite sure yet or we're, not, we're on the edge, and you're incredibly, incredibly welcome, of course. But here, let's hear the you kind of collectively as much as individual. Did you, did you hear the words, by the way, the growth bit? Built up, reach, mature, attain, no longer this but this, become, the body grows, builds itself up, etc. It's just in a, in a few short verses. And I'm not going to backtrack over the last three, three uh, weeks, but just in two sentences, remember God has, uh, Paul has just reminded us of this extraordinary cosmic History, God's story from beginning to end. He's gone back and to, to the very beginning and it's absolutely compelling. Totally compelling. Describe who God is, creator of the universe, steps into the world that he's made, the pinnacle of his creation. Men and women have messed it up badly. We know about that. And he said, no, I, I need to do something about it. In his love, he comes. He sends Jesus. Jesus dies to set us free, dies to forgive us, dies to save us from our own selfishness and rebellion and independence and draws us, adopts us into the family of God, those who give their yes to that. And he spells out all of this, how our story gets wrapped up in his bigger cosmic story. And it is absolutely incredible when we stop to think about it. Just amazing. The, the biggest, as I was saying a couple of weeks as I stood here, the biggest story that there is, all kinds of stories. And is your story now wrapped up in his? So he's writing unapologetically to those whose story, who, who have said yes, who have gone yes, who have effectively surrendered, bowed the knee, confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. I need a Savior. I've messed it up. I can't do it by myself. And, and they found forgiveness in the Lord, and now they're going on. Is that you, I want to say? Is that you? If it's not yet you, if, if that's not yet your story, again, you're so welcome. But keep asking God to reveal himself as that God who comes to save and give new life and new destiny and new hope and new purpose and all those new things which are so real for those of us who have begun the journey. But then he says... 
After all, in the light of all of that, chapters 1 to 3, so now, and there's a then in, 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 in verse 1 where we go, in the light of all of that, so what? And Paul gets real practical now. In the light of that calling that you've received from God, live a life that's worthy of it. Live up to it. It can't just be a theory. Live up to, to this extraordinary life that the Lord has given you, that Jesus died for and rose for and has, has sent his Holy Spirit to, to put into our hands. And of course, where you start is where you start all life, as a baby. You start as babies. Everybody welcomes babies. We love babies. There's lots being born at the moment in the life of this church. We celebrate that. It's gorgeous. We coo over them, and it's just lovely, beautiful, wonderful miracles of new life. But babies don't stay as babies. Rugby players don't talk as four-year-olds, usually. We're blessed with four children, you probably know. Here's our staircase at home, if that photo comes out, where uh, we put an annual photo. You can't actually see the individual photos, but right up the staircase, there's one photo for every year. We take a photo of the four, and if you start at the bottom of the staircase, they're babies, and by the time you get to the top of the staircase, they're three of them anyway, hulking great rugby players. Living things grow behind the stairs, at the bottom of the stairs, by the way. There's one of those, um, do you have this in your home, the... um, I haven't got a photo of it, the, the, the doorpost thing where you mark off the, you know, the, the pencil marks, all of that. And uh, I remember the day when Hills discovered that she'd moved from being the second tallest in a family of six to being the shortest. And uh, you know, over, the, over the years, living things grow, okay? Obvious to say. And babies are cute as babies, but they're not meant to stay that way. And if they don't learn to walk and they don't learn to talk and they don't learn to feed themselves and all those kinds of things, something has gone terribly wrong. So it's why later in life when a teacher or a friend or, or a parent or somebody says to you, don't be a baby, it kind of stings. We don't really want to hear that when we're not a baby. Rugby players talking like toddlers is funny because it's wrong. It's not normal. It's not natural. But how about spiritually, Paul is kind of saying to us or putting that on, on the table in front of us at least. Sure. Again, spiritually, everybody starts as a baby. Whatever age you get born again, to use that language, that you find that you're being brought from darkness into light because of who Jesus is and what he's done, you're born again in the language of John chapter 3. So you're born as a baby spiritually. And Paul says, uh, Peter says later on, you need milk at that stage, spiritual milk, because that's what babies need when they're babies. But the issue is, do you stay like that? After a year or after five years or ten years, we get the physical thing. What about the spiritual thing? Have you grown? If somebody hasn't grown, would we think that's abnormal in the way that we'd think that's abnormal physically? Do you see many 55-year-olds wandering around wearing nappies? No, that would be weird. How about spiritually? Is there growth? What does that look like? How does that happen? Does that make us, ooh, gosh, and I told you it was a little bit sharp. The message is sharp. How about you, to make it sharper? If you've started this journey of following Jesus, then you started as a baby. Maybe you're a baby here right now. And that's fine. That's where you start. But how's it going? What's your spiritual, you know, on the height chart, the, the, the door markings? Is, is there some progress? Living things grow. So in, this, in this, these verses here, Paul touches on three ways in which uh, people grow, three areas of growth as believers. But I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start at the end of the passage because there's a why at the end of the passage that matters before we get on to the kind of the what and the how, and we're moving in headlines tonight. But why does it matter if I grow up or I don't? Why does it matter? We need to think about that. Again, I could pause at this point and ask you to turn to a neighbor. Why does it matter to you? Does it matter to you? Why is it important, do you think, to grow up, to keep on growing spiritually? After all, somebody could say, look, I'm, I'm saved already. I'm saved from hell 
by the blood of Jesus, by Jesus coming and dying and dying for me. I've got that that's nothing to do with my performance or my effort or my accomplishment. It's this thing called grace that is a gift to those who just go, yeah, I need that, God. I need rescuing, and you've died to rescue me. So if that's nothing to do with me, and it's all come from him, and my performance doesn't make any difference to whether he loves me or whether I'm in the family or not, and my place in heaven is secure, then why would I bother to grow? Maybe some of us think like that. Why, why would I need to grow? Because frankly, whilst I like the idea of being grown up, I don't like everything which goes with growing. Do you? Just speaking honestly, I don't, because it requires a bit of effort. It requires some things of me that I'm not always comfortable giving, because we human beings, we default to comfort, our own comfort and pleasure. So why would I make some effort if I don't have to? Actually, growing pains, growing can involve some pain as well. Why would I opt for that? Status quo was a pretty good rock band back in the day. Seems like a reasonably good idea to me, status quo. Just why don't we just kind of slip in the door of this Christian faith and just kind of stay there and, and, and enjoy that. Well, without meaning to be, be rude, um, if that is your question, then you are saying, I'm a baby and I don't mind being a baby, aren't you, by definition? You're saying, I, can't, I, don't, I, can't, I actually don't want to grow up. Then you're saying, I'm a baby and I don't want to be a baby. And, and I'm not judging you for that, but the father has something to say. This loving parent has something to say. Verse 13 and six, uh, to 16, then tell us something of the why. Something of. There's lots of other things, but I'm going to try and stick to the passage. What happens if we don't grow up and what happens if we do? And there's a negative and there's a positive. The negative, verse 13, and perhaps the most serious thing here, is that if you don't grow up in faith, if you stay a toddler in faith, then you're in real danger. You are in real danger. You're really, really vulnerable. I'm a wordy kind of guy, you know that, and I love that Paul. I love it when Paul goes into kind of, I'm not quite sure, I'm searching for some words here, and I'm going to mix up my metaphors. So I don't know if you know, it's like the sports commentators. Um, I, I love those kind of sports commentaries that go slightly wrong. The lads have run their socks into the ground, I heard somebody say. I'd love to be a mole on the wall in the dressing room. Yeah, that kind of thing. So here's Paul going, if you don't grow up, you're basically babies in a boat on a stormy sea being tricked by cunning people. And you're thinking, okay, hang on, whoa, hang on, babies in boats and then kind of salesmen trying to trick them into doing something. He's, you know, we, but we get the picture, don't we? What he's reaching for is you're in danger. If you don't grow up having started the journey of following Jesus, if you don't grow up or keep on growing, you're in real danger. And he says that with a lot. Can you hear the, the compassion behind that? The compassion of the father through Paul's words. I don't, I don't want you. What parent wants their kids to be in danger? I don't want you to be in danger. At a personal level, if you don't grow up in faith, your danger is that you'll be an easy victim of the next passing fashionable theory. This place, Ephesus, was awash with theories and ideas and philosophies of, of all kinds. Well, if Ephesus then, how much more Cheltenham now? Times a thousand with all our bits of input every day. We get a thousand posts a day from all the various feeds saying, here's the right opinion, think like this. This is the way to a, a happy life or the sort of the cultural waters. And if you're not being discipled, uh, as it were, and grown by Jesus and his kingdom culture based on his word, it's not that we're not being discipled and grown. We'll be discipled and grown by something else, i.e. the culture of the world, the culture of, you know, whatever, Twitter and Instagram and the rest. 
the prevailing culture will grow us. So toddlers are incredibly vulnerable, aren't they? We hate, we hate even thinking about this image, that toddlers are incredibly vulnerable to being lured away by an attractive alternative. But spiritually, that's exactly what Paul is saying. It's exactly what he's saying. Immature believers, toddlers in the faith, are very vulnerable. And so, of course, when life is okay, it's okay. But when some crisis arises, especially, or the pressure is on, a pandemic happens, or illness happens, or the, there's pressure at work, or in a relationship, or life is difficult for some reason... Toddlers don't have resilience. They don't have a deep well of, of, found, uh, of truth to draw on, strong foundations, do they? They don't have any strength in that relationship with God. They don't have faith muscles to hold them. And so there is every chance that they will fall away. Every chance, fall away from the church, probably first of all, fall away from faith, fall away from God, and be taken on, uh, away by some other deceptive alternative. That's what Paul is saying. At the personal level, that applies. At the collective level, the church level, remember the you plural, the you together level, what's the danger? Well, a church full of immature believers who just aren't growing, and that's assuming that they're still in the room because they haven't fallen away already, or lost their faith, or left, or whatever, is going to be a church that's not really helping anybody to find the real Jesus, isn't it? Kind of by definition. To find out what's true and life-giving and hope-filled and authentic. It'll just be offering a kind of lukewarm version of something, uh, of the culture's messages, maybe with a slightly religious flavor. And it might look pretty comfortable. In fact, it will look pretty comfortable because there won't be much self-sacrifice going on because if there was, people would leave because toddlers don't vote for self-sacrifice. And there won't be much life transformation going on. And there won't be many testimonies of lives being changed. So the coffee might be good and the music might sound okay. And so it might be a kind of good club to hang out in. But it's not doing what the church is designed to do. That's the danger. So that's the negative stuff. Huge danger. Huge vulnerability for people, individuals, for us, and for churches that aren't growing, aren't growing up. There's a positive too as well, though. Verse 15, 16. Why is it important and good to grow up as a follower? So he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of who? Jesus. We'll become the mature body of Jesus. And from verse 13, we grow in the knowledge of. That means we get to know this Son of God, who is Jesus. Growing up in faith involves getting to know Jesus better. Growing up in faith involves getting to become more fully human. It involves becoming more fully like Jesus, more fully like the most human, fulfilled and alive human being that there ever was. We begin to fulfill more of our potential. Who doesn't want that, really? Even at the cost of challenge, difficulty, pain along the way. In the end, in the end, in the end, we're not designed to stay like babies, and we kind of know that. We know that there's a potential to be fulfilled. We know that there's something bigger and better and more wonderful to go for. And it's all summed up in that. We grow in the knowledge of Jesus. We get to know this Lord, this God who appeared in human flesh and discover what we're made for and discover life in him. Again and again and again, we're reading Hills especially, John's Gospel. Life is found in him. This is life to know me, he said. And at the collective level, that's the personal again, at the collective level, the more that a church does that, the more that a church grows up, the more that a church matures, it functions healthily. It takes its lead from the head, who is Jesus, who's in charge, and the more it functions as it's intended. And the church is absolutely extraordinary. God's design for reaching this lost world is the church. It's utterly compelling. 
Jesus loves the church. And I know we can have all kinds of kind of views of the church and experiences with that thing called church and so on. And we're experiencing that right now. But it is absolutely incredible when it's healthy, when it's functioning, when it's that transforming force for good that it's meant to be. So to change from, from that one, one New Testament image of, of the church, of us, how many brides to the bride one? How many brides do you know on their wedding day who arrive at church in pajamas? They're unwashed, no makeup. They've had absolutely no attention whatsoever to what they look like. No effort to present themselves in any way nicely to their husbands, just as long as they get a ring on their finger. Not meaning to be offensive in any, in any way, but that's, that's, that would be an, an equivalent kind of image from the New Testament, wouldn't it, wouldn't it? The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. He's coming back for that bride. He's coming back for his church. What's the bride going to look like? What are we going to look like if Jesus came back tomorrow? What would he find? Trinity Cheltenham. And then the, the individuals within it. So however old we are, Andrew said this, Walt Disney said it. Growing old, or a version of this, growing old in years happens automatically, sadly. But growing more mature doesn't. That's optional. Growing up requires intentionality in this sense. Vintage wines might get better with age, just sort of lying around doing nothing. But people don't. We don't. Followers of Jesus don't. And there's nothing sadder, I suspect, than a church full of spiritual toddlers in their 60s. It's kind of almost an offensive and horrible thing to say, but it's what Paul's talking about. You can be a toddler in your 60s. You can be a toddler in your 20s. If you're in your 20s, you've been on the Christian journey for a while, so you can still be a baby and a toddler. Of course you can. That's what Paul's saying. We need to grow because the Lord wants us to, and good things happen when we do, and bad things happen when we don't. So there's the big why, or some of the big whys. So just briefly, just three, three, these three headlines. Eyes down if you've got the passage open. Three aspects of this growth. Uh, and by the way, all of them, all of them happen um, as a combination of effort and intentionality on our part, because of course, you know, it doesn't just, God just doesn't go dunk. There's some parenting involved, there's some discipling involved, there's some effort on our part involved. So all of it requires some effort on our part, but it's, it is all the work of the Lord as well. There's that beautiful bit where Paul says, I worked harder than all of you, yet not me, but the grace of God that was within me. So it's a partnership. The Holy Spirit, of course, provides what we need, but we need to cooperate in the growing. That's actually part of the mysterious verses 7 to 10. I'm not going to get sidetracked by it now, but essentially that's our best understanding of what those verses are referring to. It's that the Holy Spirit has come and empowered believers and empowered the church for God's purposes. So growing up in Christ-like character would be first, verse 1 and 2, verse 13, become more like Jesus. Growing up in Christ-like character, the first of these three. Maturity, I've said this so many times over the years here, is not measured in you know, feet and inches or anything else. It's measured in cc's, if you want to measure. Christ-like character. And by the way, the character results in actions too. It's not just the character, it's the actions. Not measured in giftedness. Giftedness is great and we, we get gifts and we need to grow our gifts and develop them, put them to use of the church. But in our culture, giftedness is the only thing that counts. Giftedness is the thing that gets you, you know, on the news or on the front of a magazine because yeah, you're beautiful or you're rich or you're good at stuff, you're good at singing, you're good at sports, so you get a million likes on YouTube and you know, everybody loves you because you're gifted. Nobody f- follows anybody uh, on, on you know, social media and gives them a, a million likes if, uh, just, just on the basis of their character. But here we are, eyes down, the measure of maturity for believers here is not how good anybody is at anything, but whether you're more humble, more gentle, more patient, more forbearing towards others in love, verse 2. 
more humble, gentle, patient, forbearing towards others. Just a, a small selection of Christ-like qualities that then express themselves in external behavior. So question, hard to measure, I know, but could you look back over a year or two if you've been following Jesus for that kind of length of time and say that you're those things, more of those things, more humble, more gentle, more patient? After all, we're talking about growth. Could you say that you're less of the opposite, which might be less proud, less aggressive, less impatient, less intolerant and judgmental of others? Would that be, would that be true? Do you think others might say that of you? Have they noticed those kinds of changes or, or other ones? Let's beware of the whole gift character thing. They're not the same thing, even though the culture seems to suggest sometimes that they are. And if our gifts outweigh our character, we're going to get stuffed. Look around the celebrity world right now, and when people crash, so very often it's because they have these phenomenal gifts, amazing, amazing gifts, but they don't have the strength of character to, to, to hold and support those kinds of gifts. And it can be exactly the same uh, in our Christian journey. So these aren't gifts, these things, humility, patience, and so on. Remember, they're fruits, aren't they? God doesn't just go, dunk, there you are, you're humble now. Dunk, there you are, you're gentle, you're patient. They're fruit. How does fruit grow? Slowly. How does it grow? It grows as a result of being nurtured and the partnership between the tree, the fruit, and, uh, the, the, tree and, the, and the sap and, and drawing up the resources from the ground and the sunshine and all of that. You know, read John 15 if you need reminding of that imagery. Fruit grows slowly. And the invitation is to grow in maturity, which looks like Christ-like character. But this is who I am. I thought God accepted me as I am. Sure. Let's just nail that one, keep on nailing that one again and again. Absolutely he does. And whether you produce fruit or not doesn't change anything about the way that he sees you or me because it's not ba- his acceptance of us is not based on performance. Absolutely right. But he is a loving parent who loves us way too much for us to stay as we are. Growing up in togetherness will be the second headline. Verse 3, make every effort quite strong. Effort on our part, not just God do it all, make every effort, sure, resourced by the Holy Spirit to stay united, to stay together. And notice all the ones, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, you know, one church, one family, not lots. So make every effort. The togetherness thing really, really matters. And again, I often find it's a good test of where people are in relation to this thing that we call church, with all its funny kind of connotations and ramifications. Is, is the language that you use of church, it over there, or even you over there, or they over there, or is it us, we, the church? You're just as much a part of it if you're a follower of Jesus and this is your this is, part of, this is your family here, you're the, the local expression of the family. You're just as much part of it as, as anybody else. So what Trinity is like depends on what you're like and what I'm like, what we're all like together. Because we're the church. It's not that funny thing over there. We're, very, we're different, obviously. But united by this, this strongest of bonds. It's such a beautiful, beautiful image, uh, one which gets fractured again and again and again and again. As, you know, of course, as broken people, we, we, we can make a mess of things, but, but it's so beautiful. And, and Paul says, keep going, make every effort. Keep growing in the togetherness bit. And sure, it's hard, but it's worth it. There's that lovely verse some of us love quoting, iron sharpens iron, you know, when an axe sharpens an axe. And you go, yeah, that's great. That's such a great verse in the Bible for like fellowship and togetherness and kind of belonging. And, we, you know, an, iron does, uh, an axe just doesn't get sharp if it's kind of separate. 
Nobody grows if they're separate from togetherness and doing life with, with a bunch of other people. The issue, that iron sharpening iron, though, man, that sounds painful. Because <laughs> it is. So if you want to avoid the pain of togetherness, fine, but you won't grow. Because Paul's saying here, it's about community. It's about togetherness. It matters. Make every effort. Henri Nouon, who's an amazing guy, knew a lot about community. He, he says this, community... Um, and by that, by the way, we could go, I'm not talking about, you know, 150 people in a room necessarily, because not everybody can know everybody, but, but smaller units of that, the thing that we've just here week by week, you know, life groups or teams or groups of people who get together on a regular, committed basis, not just your mates or your family, by the way, it needs to, you know, there needs to be the, the challenge of people who aren't quite like us and they're not our best friends. But community, so hear that how you will, is the, is the place where the person that I least want to be there is always there. He says, it's messy. It's full of challenging people, and you're one of them. But outside of community, I, we, don't grow. They're some of my favorite testimonies, I think, and observations. I've had the huge privilege of being in the same place over a long period of time. They're some of my favorite testimonies. Would be of those people who sort of tiptoed in and stayed on the edge for a while. And by in, I guess I do mean the building on a Sunday. But actually, after a period of time, for whatever reason, by the grace of God, they took a step further and, and joined a something and, and, and did get stuck into a group or a team or, or both found themselves meeting with others outside of the Sunday thing. It, it just can't be the Sunday thing, can it, in a building? It's important, but it, it just it can't be that. Paul is not talking about that. Togetherness goes so much deeper. Uh, and so those testimonies of folks who've done that, and they, and they join the group, and they, they get stuck in, and they, they serve in that way, and it's not always easy, and it's, not, it's a bit messy and a bit difficult, but they reflect sometime later, that's, that's when I really got somewhere. That's when I began to get it. I began to adopt those, th- th- those images of family uh, and so on, of, of uh, church began to be real, and growth happened. No such thing. The New Testament knows nothing of the solo Christian. They would have no concept of understanding that that, that could even exist. The idea that you could have a, ration, a living and vibrant, let alone a growing relationship with Jesus outside of the community of faith. No concept of that at all. <clears throat> Better move on. Grow up, the last one. Uh, in service. You probably noticed this. Growing up in service. So in, in Christ-like character, an aspect of growing up in Christ-like character, an aspect of growing up in. And by the way, through togetherness, it's not just get better at this. It's as you do this, you will grow. As you do togetherness, you will look more mature. And togetherness is the route to maturity. And it's the same with serving here. You'll look more mature when you're, when you're serving as a, as a beautiful prime way of loving each other. And the route to that is to do it. So get stuck in, essentially. And God has given us everything that we need. Verse 12, 11, 12, 13. Uh, Jesus has given apostles, for example, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to do what? To equip his people for what? Works of service. So that what? The body of Christ, the church, can be built up till we get mature, become mature, so we keep growing. Well, if ever there was a person who justifiably didn't need to serve anybody and who everybody uh, should serve, it's Jesus. And yet he says of himself, I came not to be served, but to serve. So 101 of following Jesus, if we're following Jesus, (laughs) is to serve. Of course it is, in different kinds of ways. And I know that expresses itself in hundreds of different ways. We haven't got time to, to think about that now. But he's given us what we need to do that. The right people, the right equipment, the right gifts, and so on to help us. Verse 7, eat to each one of us, each one, not each one apart from you, each one. 
He's given us grace. That word means gift in this context. has been given as Jesus apportioned it. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 12, that list of gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, gifts of grace given to the Holy Spirit. Why again? Why, why, why? Need to keep asking why? For the common good, for the building up, so that we, we grow up. So I often ask here, it's, it's appropriate, we often ask in our groups, so what are your gifts? If God has given to each one gifts, beautiful gifts, what are yours? If you did a show of hands right now, I'm not going to do it. I've done it so often in the past, but what's yours? Do you know what your gifts are at this time? Do you know what, what you've got, at least one of them? Chances are you've got more than that. The kind of things that, that God has empowered you with, equipped you with. And what are you doing with them then? Are you developing them? The baby camel asks his mother, so mother, why, why, mom, why do I have these uh, big three-toed feet here? Oh, well, son, that's, that's so that you can walk on top of the hot sand when we trek through the desert. Well, mom, why do I have these big long eyelashes? Oh, well, that's so that, uh, you, the, 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 the sand, you're protected from, your eyes are protected from the sand when we're trekking through the desert. Why do I have this big hump on my back? Well, that's so you can store water, so you can go long distances when we trek through the desert. Yeah, but mum, what are we doing in a zoo? Uh, it's a shame when the gifts are given but not used. Sorry for the dumb joke, but, you know, we have gifts in the room, huge amounts of gifts, and we, we aren't restricted. We're not in the wrong context. We're in the right context. Part of the family here. So how are we putting them at the service of God through his body, the church? So you'll be exploring this this week in, your, in, your, in the groups as we explore this together. This is going to be a great thing to be outworking what, what this looks like. It's an obvious question. How are you serving this local expression of the body of Jesus? How are you serving these people who are in the family? family? Families serve each other. Thousands of opportunities open up. It's not rocket science. And whether we ask that question, we'll, we'll go back to how we think about church because if church is that organization over there, that sort of exists to help me and my needs, then we'll have a different sort of understanding, won't we, of, of, of what that means. Am I a customer or a contributor? Is church still in my mind a bit like the cinema, or a bit like a shop, or is it this sort of um, the provider of various things that help me from which I, I take? I don't say that again with any judgment. That's where babies start. <laughs> babies start as takers. Have you noticed? They need helping to give. That's what we're doing together. We're in, being encouraged by the Lord to give, to be contributors, not, not just takers. In, in, in giving, by the way, of course we receive. Of course it, it works that way. But customer or contributor, part of the way that you grow up to take this theme is by helping the whole body of Christ to grow up by using gifts, works of service then. And that, yes, these, these ministries that he mentions, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're given to help equip the church. That maybe you may have one of those gifts, you may not. There's, there's lots of gifts. Andrew showed a, a big list of them again this morning. I know, uh, I know a, a church where the notice board outside says, Vicar John Smith ministers the whole congregation. Because the word minister means a servant. It means somebody who's, who's serving, getting stuck in. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of his body, and you have a unique role to play, a contribution to make, just occasionally somebody says, um, but Tim, nobody's invited me to serve. No, nobody's invited me to, um, you know, to, to get on a team. Uh, if that's you right now, I'm asking you now. <laughs> so you can't, you can't say that again. Would you join a team? Would you get stuck in? Would you put your, if, if you're not already, thank you so much to those who, who do in this local body. And of course it will look different in all sorts of ways. 
But Tim, uh, I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, I'm not sure what I am gifted to do, what I, wh where I could join it. Okay, great. We'll find out your gifts. Talk to somebody. Get, get into a group. Talk to them what they think you could do. If you're good with kids, go and help the kids. If you're good at tech, help, help, help the tech. If you're half-decent at music and singing, Jay's desperate for half-decent music. And, you know, no, I'm kidding. You know, we, we're good at stuff. Start there. And actually, it doesn't require any special gift to, um, to serve coffee, really, to move chairs, to do basic things. It really doesn't. Families do that sort of stuff. Customer contributor, giving, taking, all of it matters. Let me end like this. Coming back to the big picture. I, I think Paul, who, who just loves the church, not as much as Jesus does, um, who really, really loves the church, I, I think he just sees these people and sees the potential. And under God is going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep growing. Don't be vulnerable. Don't get into danger. Don't get stuck. Totally understand when you do. There's all kinds of reasons for getting stuck. We're going to minister about that in just a minute. But keep growing, keep going. Even if you're this, whether you're, whether you're starting as a baby, whether you're further established along the road, keep going, keep growing. I say that to the older ones amongst us because it's easy to, to kind of think we've, well, we sort of, not, not that we've arrived, but we kind of, we've done enough. We've reached a level where we're kind of okay and we can help the rest. No. Keep growing, keep going, because the church is extraordinary and we're needed. We have the most amazing, amazing calling. In, in modern language, we might say we're a, you know, we're a hospital where broken people get healed and restored. We're a, a training academy where people learn the truth, get trained, equipped for life with purpose. We're an army with powerful weapons to fight against the evil and the, and the darkness in the world to push it back. We're a family where people get to form safe and trusting and loving relationships. We're a lifeboat called out to the stormy seas to, by the grace of God to pull people out of danger and into the boat to bring them to Jesus, to a place of hope, not hopelessness. So will you keep growing? You plural. Yes, you individual, but you plural. Will we keep growing? Will we keep assets together and help this to be a... A great hospital, a great academy, a great army, a great family, a great lifeboat, and all the rest of the image. The very best that we can be in partnership as we make every effort and as the Holy Spirit resources us. Amen.